Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kurt LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Welcome to a special series of podcasts on the evolving nature of education in the pandemic, the adaptations of teaching and learning and maybe even outcomes, with our focus today on the business of business education. My guest is the Dean Pro Tem at Simon Fraser University's Beattie School of Business, Andrew Gimino. The school's 200 staff oversee a student body of about 3,800 undergraduates and 700 postgraduate students, and these are really challenging times. Thanks a lot for joining us, Andrew. Well, thank you for having me, Kirk. Really appreciate it. Listen, let's start with the top of the wave, big challenges. What are what have they been? Well, you know, probably the global pandemics, number one in that, that list. Uh, we, we made a three-day transition in March last year. Uh, from com- going almost completely face-to-face to going completely uh, online. And so that's been really the, a large part of our focus and uh, trying to keep our people employed, keep the students moving and uh, degrees being offered. And we've been successful. We, the, the thing our leadership team is probably happiest about is we haven't laid off anybody. Uh, we've been able to keep going and our enrollments are actually a little bit stronger than they were before COVID. So uh, overall, uh, hopefully successful. But in terms of techniques, in terms of um, you know the the you know the discussions that you can have in classes, the uh, the kind of collaboration that you can do, the creativity that emerges from from the classroom, it, what what are the new skills do you think that people have had to um, to acquire in order to navigate some of these things? Yeah, it's been remarkably important for us to realize the kind of the essence of education is about uh, forming your own opinions and not just about checking boxes. So we found that we've, we've had to keep that discussion, what we call synchronous uh, educational opportunities, uh, kind of uh, highlight a lot of our work, uh, mostly in the grad, but also in undergrad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, if we just keep to, here's some content and go learn it yourself, it just doesn't seem to go very well. Many students get lost or lack engagement. We need to find a way to keep them focused. And so that's where we've really pushed up our, our concepts around synchronous education. Uh, and that's used often using Zoom in uh, discussions and, and chats and, and trying to provide more opportunities for people to talk to each other, not just to the to the person in front of the room. Yeah, you're younger than me, but the students are younger than you. Uh, yeah. They're supposed to be all about technology. They're already supposed to have a handle on this. Um, how have they equipped themselves, do you think? I think the students have done a remarkable job getting themselves ready and prepared for the learning. That's not been the issue. I think a harder thing has been the transition for the people, uh, you know, of my generation, uh, trying to figure out how to effectively present and engage people and students, uh, you know, in a technological environment. There's a lot to learn on both sides, but uh, I think the students have done a great job, uh, you know, getting up to speed and, and having the patience with uh, our faculty and, and instructors as they learn how to offer and design their courses differently for, for an online offering. So tell me a little bit about the, the early learning about learning and all of this. I mean, what, are the, uh, what are the new techniques that seem to be emerging that appear to have some success? Well, the first thing is kind of like here, although we think about the scholar at the front of the room as being kind of the traditional face-to-face uh, uh, delivery, we really have moved more to much more flipped classrooms, which means the people in the room are as important to the learning as the person at the front of the room. And now that we have technology like Zoom and other things, it's hard to see who's at the front anymore. And so it's a kind of a releasing of uh, the knowledge requirement that has to be just about the instructor and incorporating that more as, uh, as the entire class is involved 
in the engagement around the material. And when you can do that successfully, you can really jump up the amount of learning that happens inside a, inside a course. So we try to do that. There is, you know, when you're, when you're in big courses where you've got hundreds of people and you're trying to get through material like uh, introductory math or whatever, there's not so much opportunity for discussion in those. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's the ones that are probably the most challenging to flip into uh, online delivery. But uh but for the other courses, we've been finding that there there is some advantages uh, in going to online because you can get to more people. I'll give you an example. In our MBA class, uh, we currently are offering to 19 different time zones. Wow. We have to actually run at 7 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock at night uh, because that's the only times we can get most of the class together. Mm-hmm. And across 19 time zones, we never have that opportunity uh, to, you know, to develop that kind of before this pandemic. So that's an awesome kind of a utilization of technology to get a real global perspective. And uh, so far, so good. It's been really successful, but uh, so much learning, you know, from both the, the instructor and the student side. So, but is it also perhaps reverting a little bit to some of that transmission model, just for sake of the fact that you've got to get through? A yeah, I think, I think what you're finding, though, there's the information's out there now, uh, Kirk. Okay. So, uh, you know, content, you can look up Google. If you've got a question, Google's got an answer for you. Uh, but what we're finding, that kind of check-the-box learning is not what students are looking for, or participants in our programming anyway. They're looking for that discussion, the development of their own opinion. Uh, the fact is you don't accept things that are on, on the web now. You need to really understand and dig in a little bit deeper. And I'm hoping that we're teaching people how to form their own opinions. And that means you got to be in discussion. you got to hear other sides. you got to open up your mind. So the tick the box transmission type of uh, uh, teaching, I think is just, it, that's probably been accelerated off the schedule for a lot of people. I think we've gone past that idea that we're just transmitting information. Yeah, I mean, I've been an, an adjunct professor for about 15 years now, and I've really noticed that of course, in, in recent years, the classes really became uh, almost like a large talk show. And, yeah. and you, you really did that. And that was the success of it. But the one other thing that I think I want to ask you about has to do with the other experience, the other, I think, purpose of coming to a post-secondary institute, it's to benefit, first of all, from the network that you get right there on the spot, uh, the other students, the collaboration, the collegiality that you have with them, and of course, the, the relationships that you begin to build in a community. So how successful so far um, are, are you being in, in getting some kind of an emulation of that? Yeah. I, I wish I could say that we are going to be at the same quality as our face-to-face, but there's nothing really like being in the same room mm. with people together discussing topics uh, because you can see the body language and the <laughs> and maybe the angry and the infuriation of the you know exasperation. It, been it, there. It, yeah, been, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I would say is we are moving towards that more, and I think what we're finding is that's what instructors are trying to come to now: is how do I actually generate that level of engagement that we had in the classroom. Uh, so they've, they've got to the information transmission kind of aspects. And I think that's not too bad, but it's it's how to fully engage. So it's more discussion. I think we're leaving ourselves more time. But the real challenge in this, Kirk, is that you know if you look at people, for example, maybe in our graduate program, they're also working uh, full-time, a lot of these people, and taking school. So now you just spend eight hours on Zoom or maybe 10 hours in your work. And now you're going to do another two hours. So we're finding that there's just limited time. We can't yeah. we can't do all the things we used to do in the classroom because it's just. 
And I think we're pretty quickly concluding, right, that uh, that things like Zoom are exhausting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, neurologically, it's not not we're not built for it. Yeah. Um, so what I also wonder about is is uh, how are you dealing with the fact that employers around the country are expecting these these grads to come to them and uh, to bring them some skills? How are you how are you making sure that that employers are aware of of the attributes of the student body. Yeah, well, I think if you take a look at the business skills that we're developing in our graduate and undergraduate students, I think we're pretty confident that even in this technological kind of online remote instruction area, we're still providing it with the basics. So I, I think people are coming out prepared to be able to engage uh, in, in return to their basic understanding. I think what's actually probably better for them is that they're now able to engage in more ways than they had before. I mean, students coming out now are able to collaborate across these technological platforms much easier with more confidence than they had generally coming out before this, the case. And as, as people were moving in that direction, any with virtual teams and globalization, I think there was basically a movement towards that. So technically, maybe we're a little bit better. I think the problem we have is in collaboration stuff. So for example, how do you do a group assignment now? when you're, uh, you're in a Zoom environment. So forget about what's happening in the classroom. Now, how do you take those outside classroom activities, which are so important to learning and replicate those? And I think students are having some difficulty there. Uh, it's nice that we have things like OneDrive and you know Google, Google Drive and other things like that, where we can store information together, but really utilizing the, the capabilities, uh, that's where students are really pressing forward, even past what we're delivering in the classroom. Uh, they're trying a whole bunch of different little things, apps, Slack, a whole bunch of ways to communicate and, and keep the collaboration going. And I think when you, if you think about what the experience they've had here, I would say they've had a couple of years experience in a one year uh, atmosphere uh, with trying to handle all these things in, in Zoom. So I think okay. students are, are better prepared than we think to actually take on the next step. Well, but one of the areas I think that business uh, education excels in, of course, is in encouraging entrepreneurialism, uh, innovation, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of vision to to create something, uh, something that's of course going to be uh, you know benefiting us. Um, how again? How you have you been able to adapt in these circumstances to ensure that that doesn't get somewhat subsumed? I'll get you. I'll give you two examples. Right. It's actually because of the pandemic, we had to make some changes. And so the grad program, for example, we have this program called it's a Master's in Science in accounting with cognitive analytics. And we offer it to KPMG auditors. And it was around the country. When we started this program before the pandemic started, we'd meet in either Toronto or Vancouver uh, and we would fly people in and do this programming. And then all of a sudden with the pandemic, the question is, would we stop the program or would we continue? And thankfully our partner uh, KPMG said, let's try to continue. And we did. And what we found was we were able to actually find a lot more time for people. They weren't traveling. So we could actually do more work, more collaborative work. And the innovation that came out of that was a lot of really innovative programming about how to change the auditing practice using technology and things. So they started looking at things like drones and other pieces like that. So how do we actually change the way we work? And I think being in COVID and, you know, in this challenge, it opened people's perceptions about how they're going to have to change their work and probably accelerated that 
that whole program. And then, and then another one was um, in our eye to eye program, which is idea to innovation program, where we take science, uh, people in science and show them how to commercialize their ideas uh, towards entrepreneurship. What we found was we were able to actually work with Queens and to start to develop a national program. So instead of us just offering here, once we had the stuff online for our students, we said, you know what, actually, we can take this on the road. We can actually bring this to other places now because we've now got content that other schools can use. So we found partners who would work with us uh, and we would never have gone national with that program in the same uh, time frame without uh, having this challenge in front of us of COVID. So I think sometimes you can see it as a, as a challenge and sometimes it becomes an opportunity for you. So I'm, I'm proud of our schools at least taking some opportunities to, to meet that innovation challenge. There's been so much said so far about uh, how permanent a lot of these uh, adaptations are going to be uh, in the way we work and the way we live, of course. Um, some of it being uh, working from home, some of it uh, perhaps having much more flexibility in the way in which we structure our time, we manage it. Yeah. Uh, are you noticing anything yet that, uh, that points to something in the way of a permanent situation where perhaps professors are going to allocate their time in very different ways, as you say, to across 19 different time zones, for instance, yeah. and students are going to allocate their time in a different way in order to grab bits here, bits there, as they, as they, they acquire the skill. Yeah, to me, I think two things really clear. One is that I don't think we can, we're going to step back from technology. I think we'll step back in terms of the percentage of our courses that are completely online. Yeah. Uh, the reason being is I think the other thing that we've seen is people desperately want to talk to each other and be face-to-face -face during some programming. Yeah. So we have very clearly got that signal that you know the human connection is an important part of education. And it's more than content. It's more than other things like that is necessary for people to really get engaged with each other and learn. So first of all, face-to-face -face is valuable. But now we, what we have to do is make sure that we're using that essence, make sure we got that, but then add the technological flexibility, uh, which I think is more about lifestyles. Uh, I just don't think people are going to have the time the, the way they had before to take you know many aspects of their life and make them face-to-face. -face. I think we're going to find pieces of education are going to be offered flexibly online. And then I think we're going to blend that with the really important face-to-face -face components of programming. So I see a blended model emerging from this uh, and we're not stepping back to the face-to-face the -face completely. Is there anything a little bit worrisome though about that in the sense of, of you know, where we're going to perhaps move away from some of the formality of, um, of all of this uh, in order to um, then develop much more of an informal way of, of dealing with each other and that maybe something's going to get lost in the in in the discipline of it yeah i think that's our job uh kirk is to actually show people what the what you need to do if you're going to be doing this kind of quick uh collaboration so uh, there are aspects of things like teaming this quick teaming concept about how to get to people quickly how to make sure that you can share and collaborate quickly and our business students need to be prepared for that so i, I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to take that on. And that's kind of where the world was going anyway. So many yeah. people have said that COVID accelerated this. And I think that's what's happened. I think we were moving in this direction anyway, but uh, we're, we're just doing it a lot faster than we thought we were. And is there a bit of a silver lining in all of these clouds uh, that, that you know, your first graduating, full graduating class, first year of fully dealing with online learning, you know, comes this spring, uh, that these, these people this year and probably next year 
are going to be probably the best equipped to to navigate uh, the you know the rigmarole. Yeah, you know, but you know, I, I don't know if that's you know to get a medal or something like that because right. I had to learn on the go and on the fly, and it's been very difficult and very challenging for uh, people, and also all the turmoil that's going on in their lives and their loved ones. I think. We just can't underestimate the kind of challenges we've had for students. So I'm very, very proud and, and, and thankful, grateful of the patience that students have provided us as we kind of work together through this. And, um, and yeah. last, last point, I guess, uh, are, are there any lessons of the pandemic on business itself that then translate into the principles, the values that a school of business tries to impart? Yeah, I would say, first of all, this idea of resilience, you've got to, in some sense, and I think this is what we've learned from the pandemic, is we have to design that capability to be flexible into our programming. So we need to understand that to be resilient, to look at the changes that are coming down in the educational industry, we're going to have to understand how we can flex and move to be adaptive to students' needs. So that's first, I think that's the first thing that we've learned. Second, if it's not all, when you say the clouds out there, there's some dark clouds as well. The changes are, if students need information, they kind of know where to go and they're not always going to turn to a university to do that. And so it's really important for us to understand that we've got to adapt our engagement with the students and make sure that we're offering something very high value that they recognize as important uh, to get to. So our credit programs better be something that are relevant to people, that they are building the right kind of skills and they're gonna make them more adaptable. Uh, so if we don't move quickly, I think we're gonna be left behind to some degree. So I really think that's the lessons that I see uh, you know, coming from the pandemic, that the world is gonna to continue to change. It might not be pandemics, it might be something else, it might be climate change, it might be other things. We're gonna to have to learn and continue to adapt. So we better start building flexible systems that allow us to adapt, adapt our curriculum and our offerings so that we can do that regardless of what gets thrown our way. Okay, last question. Do I jinx it if I suggest that perhaps by the fall we're going to see in class? <laughs> so I would have students standing up and cheering if we could hear by the fall. But I think with these variants coming and other things, we're just, we, at SFU, what we recognize is that student health, our faculty and, and staff health is number one. And we are not going to take risks with that. So if we can do it safely, we would love to operate uh, as soon as possible. But I think the fall may be early, depending on how the vaccinations go and everything. So I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that we can get there. But uh, yeah. Yeah. we're going to take we're going to make sure we take the health of uh, students and faculty and, and staff into well, that place. Yeah. It, you know, it makes sure that we don't have to dress up all that often anyway. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Probably has has a small side benefit. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, it's been great talking to you. Uh, best wishes with all of this. Uh, it's it's a big challenge we've got there. Well, I appreciate it very much. And thanks for having me. I appreciate the, uh, the time. Andrew Tomino is the Dean Pro Tem at Simon Fraser University's BD School of Business. This is part of our special series this week on education. It changes, of course, the impact of the pandemic on it. I'm Crypto Point, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for watching.